Well, we're going to be in. We're going to begin with Judges chapter 15, and we're going to start off with a bang, with a map. The yellow portion is what the Philistines control, and uh, they basically controlled all of the Mediterranean coast of Israel. And they had united in five confederated cities. Uh, there was Gath and Gaza and uh, Ekron, Ashkelon, and Ashdod. So those are their five major cities. They were city-states with each city having a major leader. We'll see that today. The Philistines were, uh, their military was, was powerful. And they were conquerors. You were not on equal ground with them. The people of Israel were not free. They were not free to do whatever they wanted. They never knew when these people were going to drive, encroach upon more land or want more things. They lived next door to each other, but the Israelites were the conquered people. It gets so bad later that the entire army of Israel doesn't have any swords or shields, no armor. At one point, the only two people, in a, they're getting ready for a battle, and the only two people who actually have swords is the king and his son. It gets so bad later that if they want to sharpen their farming implements, they've got to take them to the Philistines. The Philistines had complete control over everything. So if you needed to sharpen your plow, you had to take it to them. Their military was very powerful. They were conquerors. And they were idolaters. Chapter 13 opens up with telling us that Israel or that the Philistines oppressed Israel for 40 years. But they oppressed Israel much longer than that. As a matter of fact, their oppression extended well into the time of King David during his reign. So it went well beyond 40 years. So what the book of Judges is trying to do is they're trying to identify this first 40 years when the Philistines invaded the area, took over the land, and there was a 40-year period there. And this 40-year period, even though the Philistines are not going to leave Israel, they're going to be in the land for a long time, what the book of Judges is trying to do is identify this first 40 years that end, that begin with the invasion, and they end with Samson's death. And when Samson dies, it creates a dramatic setback to the Philistines. And so we've been studying the man named Samson that God raised up to judge, to deliver the nation of Israel from the Philistines. And we read that the Bible tells us that he is only beginning the process. Samson is from the tribe of Dan. 
He uh, is from a, land, a city called Zora, which is about 15 miles to the left of Jerusalem, 15 miles west. He's a Nazarite. He's taken a, a, a consecrated vow that God had placed upon him before he was even born. And when Samson grew up, the Bible tells us that God began to direct him among the camp of David. But before too long, Samson decided that he wanted to marry a Philistine woman from Timnah. And so the very people he was supposed to be delivering the nation from, he's decided to marry. On the way to this marriage, on the way to, to arrange for this marriage, he's walking on a road with his parents, and for some reason he decides to leave the road and go into the vineyards. I can only think of two reasons why you would do that. One is to eat grapes, and one would maybe be to use the bathroom. I can't think of any other reasons. But he left his parents, and he went into the woods, the vineyards, and he was attacked by a lion. And he killed the lion with his bare hands. And apparently, he came out of those vineyards untouched. Because he didn't tell his parents or anybody else what happened, and nobody knew. So he, wasn't, he didn't have big claws all over his face and arms, and his shirt wasn't all torn up. He literally tore this lion up. Of course, we know that was the Spirit of the Lord in Samson. Well, when they return to Timnah to consummate the marriage, there's a seven-day wedding feast. And so they're walking back to Timnah from Zorah, from Zorah to Timnah. And we talked about where Timnah would be. So if you see where Ekron is and you see where Jerusalem is, uh, if you're at Jerusalem and you're going to go on a vacation to the beach for the weekend, you're going to get in your car and you're going to go west. And from Jerusalem, it's about 15 miles later, you're going to hit Zorah. And then before you hit Ekron, you're going to hit Timnah. Neither one of those places are on that map. So they're going back to Timnah for, for this wedding, seven-day wedding feast. And they're on the same road. And again, Samson decides to leave the road and his parents, and he goes into the vineyards. And this time he finds this lion that's been uh, the carcass and bees are inside this lion and so he eats the honey and he brings the honey out and he gives it to his parents but he doesn't tell his parents so his parents don't know he killed the lion and his parents do not know that where the honey came from it's his big secret and so when he gets to this wedding feast it's all philistines everybody's a philistine his his wedding party is philistine men and he's just so delighted with his secret that he decides to turn it into a big riddle and he makes a wager with his wedding party and he tells them the riddle that out of the eater came something to eat out of the eater came something sweet well the guys couldn't figure out the riddle obviously and so they went to the woman that he was going to marry and they threatened to kill her they were going to burn her down in her house and her family. So nice people. 
So over 30 pieces of clothing, they were going to murder this woman and her family by burning them to death. And so out of fear, she began to work on Samson. Tell us your secret. What's this riddle mean? And she just kept pestering him and pestering him and nagging him day after day, crying, until finally on the seventh day, he told her. And she immediately ran and told those guys because she didn't want to die. Samson's wife betrayed him. So the Bible tells us that Samson left and went to another location, to another Philistine location, and killed 30 men. And he took all their spoils and the clothes, and he brought them back to Timnah and paid off his debt. And then he left there in a rage and went back to Zorah. And the one thing that Samson didn't know is that while Samson had left Timnah in a rage, the father of that woman gave his daughter away to Samson's best man, to Samson's friend. And this brings us to chapter 15. We'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Later on, during the wheat harvest, so some time has passed, Samson took a young goat as a gift and he visited his wife. So he went back to Timnah. I want to go to my wife in her room, he said, but her father would not let him enter. He said, I was sure that you hated her. So I gave her to one of the men who accompanied you. Isn't her younger sister more beautiful than she is? Why not take her instead? And Samson said to them, This time I won't be responsible when I harm the Philistines. So he went out and he caught 300 foxes. And this word for fox can also mean jackals. And they travel in packs, so it could have been those two. And he took torches and he turned the foxes tail to tail and he put a torch between each pair of the tails. And then he ignited the torches and released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines. And he burned up the piles of grain and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. So this was a a big hit. This uh, destroyed all their food. There were three main staples. This is what they ate and survived on. It's what they traded with. And then the Philistines asked, who did this? And they were told it was Samson, the Timonite's son-in-law, because He has taken Samson's wife and given her to another man. So the Philistines went to her and her father and burned them to death. So we can see here that even the Philistines realized that what had happened to Samson was wrong. Then Samson told them, because you did this, I swear that I won't rest until I have taken vengeance on you. And he tore them limb from limb with a great slaughter. And he went down and stayed in the cave at the Rock of Edom. So we're not told how many people he kills, but he kills the people who killed his wife and her family. And tells us that he went down and he stayed in a cave. Now why would he do that? He just wanted to be alone. 
He was trying to get away from everybody. He didn't want to go back home. He couldn't go to Timna. He was lost. Everything that was happening to Samson was his own fault. He never should have done this. He never should have went to that woman. He disobeyed his parents, disrespected his parents. He disrespected God. And so all of these events have transpired at his own doing. And you and I know what that's like when we've hit a wall or things have gone wrong and it's by our own doing. And so Samson has went to this cave and this is a good place for him because it gives him an opportunity to, to do business with God. When we're in our low moments like that, that's when we can reflect on the foolish things that we've done, the time that we've wasted, the sins that we've committed, things that seemed like such a good idea at the moment. And now you find yourself with no place to go, no place that's really home anymore. You've made a mess of everything. And this is a place for you to do business with God. But time isn't standing still while Samson's doing this. Things are transpiring around the cave. In verse 9 it says, The Philistines went up and they camped in Judah. So now the army has, they've amassed an army and they've, in, they've came into Judah. And they raided a place called Lehi. And so the men of Judah said, Why have you attacked us? And they replied, We have come to arrest Samson and pay him back for what he did to us. So between verses 9 and the or between verses 10 and 11, there's a meeting of the minds because Judah is thinking, we're in big trouble. Okay, stop raiding Judah. Let us, we'll go get Samson. We know where he is. We'll find out where he is. We're going to go get him. Now, up to this point, we know that God has been directing Samson in the camp of Dan. We know he killed a lion, but maybe people do or don't know that. And we know that he has wiped out this little, little party that killed his wife in Timnah. And then he, he pulled this stunt with the foxes. But for whatever reason, the people of Judah knew Samson. And they did not just go riding up there with a tough, couple of tough guys. God had been doing things in Samson's life and making a name for himself through Samson. And so in verse 11... 3,000 men of Judah went to the cave. And they asked Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines rule over us? What have you done to us? I've done to them what they did to me. And they said to him, we've come to arrest you and hand you over to the Philistines. So the Jewish people want to take their judge, their deliverer, and give him to their oppressor. Don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? God, what have you done to us? So Samson said, swear to me that you yourselves won't kill me. No, we won't kill you, but we will tie you up securely and hand you over to them. So they tied him up with two new ropes and led him away from the rock. Verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came to meet him shouting, 
Then the Spirit of the Lord took control of him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like burnt flax, and his bonds fell off his wrists. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it, and killed 1,000 men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, I have piled them in a heap. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed 1,000 men. And when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and he named the place Ramoth Lehi. And he became very thirsty, and he called out to the Lord, You have accomplished this great victory through your servant. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God split a hollow place in the ground at Lehi, and water came out of it. After Samson drank, his strength returned, and he was revived. That is why he named it, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza. That's one of those city coasts, one of the major cities of the Philistines. He went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and he went to bed with her. When the Gazites heard that Samson was there, they surrounded the place and waited in an ambush for him all that night at the city gate. And while they were waiting quietly, they said, let us wait until dawn, then we will kill him. But Samson stayed in bed until midnight when he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, along with the two gate posts, and pulled them out bar and all. And he put them on his shoulders, and he took him to the top of the mountain overlooking Hebron. Now Hebron is almost 35 miles away, uphill. So some people think that he just, what this is telling us is that he walked out of the city with the gates to the top of a hill that looked towards Hebron, but to me, it sounds like he's walked uphill 35 miles and put the gates on a hill that faces the entrance of Hebron. Why would he do that? What would that say to the people of Hebron? Well, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Sork Valley. And the Sork Valley is, uh, you know, Jerusalem is real mountainy, hilly, it's elevated. And if you were to go about 13 miles, not quite to Zora, but if you'd go about 13 miles west, in those hills of Jerusalem, this valley begins. And it, it winds its way about 35 miles down to the Mediterranean. And so, so much of what we've been reading is occurring in or around this valley. Verse 5, the Philistine leaders went to her and said, persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from so we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless. Each of us will then give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So notice what verse 5 is telling us. It's the leaders of these five cities. And they are giving, offering her an incredible amount of money. An incredible amount of money. 
So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where does your great strength come from? How could someone tie you up and make you helpless? Samson told her, if they tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become weak and be like any other man. So the Philistine leaders brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had been dried, and she tied him up with them. And while the men in ambush were waiting in her room, so they were hiding, she called out to them, Samson, the Philistines are here. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of yarn snaps when it touches fire. And the secret of his strength remained unknown. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have mocked me and told me lies. Won't you please tell me how you can be tied up? So he told her, if they tie me up with new ropes that have never been used, I will become weak and be like any other man. Delilah took new ropes, tied him up with them, and shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. But while the men in ambush were waiting in her room, he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. And then Delilah said to Samson, You have mocked me all along and told me lies. Tell me how you can be tied up. He told her, If you weave the seven braids of my head with the web of a loom. So he's getting closer and closer to the truth, isn't he? Now we're starting to talk about his hair. She fastened the braids with a pin and called to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. He awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin with the loom and the web. How can you say I love you, she told him, when your heart is not with me? This is the third time you've mocked me and not told me what makes your strength so great. Now at this point, we might want to take a break and just think for a second. It sounds like each time she tied him up or did something, the ambush was hiding. So Samson may have been completely unaware that she was actually going to betray him. He may have been that thick-headed. So here in this fourth time, verse 16, because she nagged him day after day and pled with him until she wore him out, he told her the whole truth and said to her, my hair has never been cut because I am a Nazarite to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. But when Delilah realized that he had told her the whole truth, she sent this message to the Philistine leaders. Come one more time, for he has told me the whole truth. So the Philistine leaders came to her and brought the money with them. Then she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids on his head. In this way, she rendered him helpless, and his strength left him. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. And when he awoke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. He was forced to grind grain in the prison. His hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. Now the Philistine leaders gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon. And they rejoiced and said, Our God has handed over our enemy, Samson, to us. When the people saw him, they praised their God and said, Our God has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and who multiplied our dead. When they were drunk, they said, Bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from prison and he entertained them. They had him stand between the pillars. And this is because Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, 
Lead me where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. And the temple was full of men and women. All the leaders of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. And he called out to the Lord. He said, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen, strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines from my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple and he leaned against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. The temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it. And the dead he killed at, that, at his death were more than those he had killed in his life. Then his brothers and his fathers came, family came down and they carried him back and they buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father Manoah. So Samson judged Israel 20 years. It's interesting that after his hair had been cut, he didn't know that the Lord had left him. Now we really don't know why his strength left him at that point. We don't know if it's because that was the last piece of the Nazarite vow that had, that had finally been broken. We don't know if it's because God had just had enough. You know, you and I'd be silly to not realize that God has his limits. He's full of grace and mercy, but sometimes God has had enough. When we think about this vow and the violations, we know that he, he touched a dead animal twice. Uh, the lion's carcass for honey, and then we, he used the jawbone of a donkey. It was a fresh jawbone. From what I've read, that means that it's stronger than it would be if it was just a skeleton and dried out, you know. He went into the vineyards two times. And he sure was the, the life of the party at the seven-day feast. He doesn't come right out and tell us that he did drink fermented drinks, but it seems like he did. We also know that when Delilah cut his hair, he slept right through it. Which, of course, was also a violation of his vow. On two different occasions, Samson revealed a secret to the, to the woman of Timnah, and it had disastrous consequences. And then he revealed his other secret to this woman from the Valley of Sorek with disastrous consequences. What I'm getting ready to say is not, guys, it's not supposed to mean leave your wife if she's nagging you. That's not what this is about. What I'm saying is, is that in these circumstances, it creates a picture of someone who is constantly being harassed and nagged and, and rode about a secret. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be a man or a woman. It's just the idea that Samson stayed there. He, he, he allowed himself to stay in the, in the line of fire. And so it creates a contrast. Uh, when you are facing temptation, 
a bad situation, do you choose to stay there or do you try to get away from it? You don't want anything to do with it. Do you go ahead and stay in the, in the bad spot or do you flee? Because this is a perfect illustration that our sin nature never rests. The world never stops being the world. It's, it's like the devil's never going to quit being the devil. And your sin nature is not going to be like, oh, I'm so tired. This guy's such a good Christian. I'm just, oh, I'm going to go lay down. You know, that just doesn't happen. And so as believers, we have to decide if we want to continue to put ourselves in harm's way or get away from it. So that doesn't mean, guys, you can leave your wife if she's nagging. That's not what that's trying to say. And by the way, that doesn't happen, does it? Well, this is the life of Samson. And uh, I'd like to make a couple of observations and then address the, the final question, which is, why on earth is Samson included among the heroes of the faith? We want to take a look at Samson's attitude and God's attitude. You know, pride sees God as a puppet master. But humility sees God as our protector. It's got everything to do with your opinion, your attitude. It's how you choose to look at it. Samson reminds me of a, of a preacher's kid. He's, he's born with you know, high expectations and great restrictions. He's told what to do, what not to do, what he's supposed to like, what he's not supposed to like, who he's supposed to like, who he's not supposed to like, what he's supposed to do with his time. And our sin nature does not like being told what to do. We don't like that. And really the same could be said, hopefully, of any child that was raised by Christian parents. But we all know that at a certain point, every person has to decide whether they are going to adopt the values and beliefs of their parents. Now, if your parents are lost and you weren't raised in a Christian home, then wow. You know, when you run off and you try to find your own personal happiness, the last thing you're going to do is turn to God. But if you've got Christian parents, they're showing you a certain way. You see, Samson decided that his personal happiness was more important than anything else. That was all that was driving him. As a Christian, you want to be happy and have a, a nice life. There's nothing wrong with that. It just depends on your attitude. If you're humble, then you won't see God as the, as the taskmaster. You won't feel like you're restricted. If, if you start to find out, feel like church is uh, starting to encroach upon your, your time and your territory, that's pride. That's all it is. That's you choosing your personal happiness apart from God. I feel like Samson felt that way. Like he was a puppet on a string and he was rebelling. 
I can speak from personal experience what it's like to be a preacher's kid and to rebel. I did it. I was a naughty boy. Samson didn't honor his vow. He didn't honor his parents. He disregarded all of the warnings. And this is the person that God chose to place these restrictions on. Why would God do that? If you put those restrictions on me, I went like that. I, I took off. There's a friend of mine, he, uh, when we were going through the COVID lockdown, uh, a guy I grew up with, he's a pastor of a church in Dayton. And he actually gave a Bible study on, on our Wednesday night Bible study. His name is Tim Cox. And Tim, he was born the same way I was. But he was the student body president. He was a great basketball player. Everybody knew Tim was a Christian. Everybody knew it. But God chose to put these kind of restrictions on Samson. Why did he do that? In the beginning, Samson was a picture of faith to the nation. But when he made his decision to pursue his own personal happiness, the whole nation could watch his downfall. They were both a very good message for Israel. Israel needed both. And unfortunately, Samson disqualified himself as a leader because of his own personal ambitions. As a matter of fact, for that reason, there's really no indication that Samson even considered leading the nation. It's a man who God set apart for this task, and he said, no thanks. I'm not doing that. Now, God's attitude about it is different because He's faithful. God is faithful to His redemptive plan with His covenant people. And so God is acting alone. The nation did not cry out to Him. They uh, feared the Philistines and they were submitting to them. This is why Samson acted alone. Think of it like this. In, in previous judges, the Spirit of the Lord would take control of the judge and he would rally up these big armies. And then they would, uh, they would go to battle and God would give them the victory. Well, God would take control, the Spirit of the Lord would take control of Samson and he'd just kill like 30 men or carry, carry a gate. And he put it right down there facing Hebron. Remember Hebron? That's, that's where Caleb was given. In the book of Judges chapter 1. This was a, a message. Israel is showing, uh, Israel could see what God was doing without them. And what he could do for them if they would yield their heart. So he becomes a, Samson becomes a picture for Israel. This is, of course, only the beginning of God's deliverance. And the final question really summarizes everything. 
It is, why is Samson among the heroes of the faith? Think about what we've read. Think about what's happened. Why would you put him in there in the heroes of the faith? We ask the same question about Barak. You know, Barak didn't have the courage. He, he wasn't even going to go to war unless Deborah went. But think about what, what God did there. He, he got that small army trapped up there on Mount Tabor and this sea of people in the Valley of Jezreel. It said you couldn't, you couldn't count them all. And then God brought that storm and just swept them all away. You know? And so when we look back on it, we can see that what Barak did was scary. Took a lot of courage, a lot of faith. We ask the same thing about Gideon because when you looked at Gideon, he was hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. He kept asking for signs and asking for signs and asking for signs. And then he had to go down to eavesdrop and hear what the people were saying before he finally got the courage. But what did he do? He took 300 men to an army of 135,000. And he surrounded them, but he only had was a torch and some clay pots and a trumpet. That took a lot of faith. When we got to Jephthah, we asked the same question. Why is Jephthah in the heroes? Why is Jephthah included in Hebrews chapter 11 as a, Hebrew, as a hero of the faith? I like Jephthah. He, uh, he gets things done. He's a natural leader. And what he did took incredible faith. But in each one of these men, there was things wrong with them. There was stuff they weren't doing right. You know, because what we want to see is a hero means they do everything right. God uses imperfect people. Maybe you know an imperfect person. From our perspective, Samson is a train wreck. But that's because our attention is on, you know, on purpose. Our attention is drawn to his sin and his consequences. Because you and I are supposed to say, let's not do what Samson did. Well, here's another question for the first one. What has to exist for you to be included in the heroes of the faith? What's got to exist? It's obvious you have to have faith. Faith means that you depend upon, you trust, you know. If, uh, if you're going to come up here and sit in the chair, you have to know something about the chair. It's made of steel and, and it, it will support you. And you know that because you've seen other people sitting in those chairs. And so you have a, a level of faith to sit in a chair. It's because you know about it. You see? So when you have faith in God, it means that you know Him. It implies that there is a relationship. It requires a relationship. I have a relationship with the chair because of what I know about it. Well, if I'm going to put my faith in God, I have to know Him. There has to be something there. It seems obvious, but it's not. 
especially when you consider the way people at work or wherever talk about God. And they use his name in vain constantly, and that's not what you do when you... That's not what you do if he's your God. In order for Samson to be included, there had to be a relationship with God that was based upon faith. That means that with all of the stuff we've been reading about Samson, all the stupid mistakes he made, the sin, the his, you know, all of the stuff he did, that means that while all of that was going on, a relationship existed with God. It doesn't mean that God was happy about what Samson was doing. It doesn't mean that Samson wasn't going to suffer the consequences of his mistakes, because he did. But there was a relationship intact. The Bible is very silent about this. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I've came up with seven indicators that this relationship existed. The first one is that he was raised by parents who feared God. A lot of people don't have that, but Samson did. They demonstrated to him what it was like to have a relationship with God every day. And because of his consecration, him being set apart to God, they would have tried to instill that in him every day from the very beginning. Teaching him who God is, telling him about the God of Israel, the God who created the universe, the God who loves you like a father. Constant. Train up a child in the way he, he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. That, that model that works most of the time. The fact that parents are like that, that's one of the key characteristics of a child that rebels. Because they're being told how to think and what to do and what not to do. And their sin natures defying it because... And we all know it because you, as you're little and you grow, you want to become independent, more and more, more and more independent. And so if your parents are telling you to think a certain way, you want to do what they're not saying. But when that happens, it's failing to... And by the way, this is uh, adult Christians do the same things. We all have to come back to center all the time, but... When we, when we start to stray away from God and we start to see Him as a puppet master and we start getting proud and we want to just pursue our own time and when we do these things, it's because we are failing to appreciate the peace that comes from living for God every day. No matter what your health is or what's going on, there's a, there's a peace that comes. And so you're, you're failing to appreciate that. You're failing to appreciate the rewards that are to come. And you're failing to appreciate the fact that God does chasten those that He loves. The second point that I think proves that this relationship with God exists with Samson, and this is why when you and I die and we're in heaven, we're going to get to meet Samson. He's going to be there because he had a relationship with God. It wasn't like he was a preacher's kid that was just mad about it and just living wrong. 
And he's decided to do whatever he wants. I'm going to marry a Philistine woman. I'm going to sleep with a prostitute. I'm going to go over here with Delilah. You know, I don't care anything about a vow. I'm going to, I'm going to eat honey out of a carcass. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that. He did all those things, but he loved God. Here's another indicator. It tells us that in the very beginning in, in chapter 13, that when he grew up, that the Lord was directing him. And that speaks to a, a heart that's yielded to God that he's directing and leading. You can't, you can't lead someone if they're defiant. So there was, a, there was a certain relationship that was existing there in the beginning. Another reason is because faith is inherent in all of those great feats that he did. It was the Spirit of the Lord that took control of him, and God is responsible for the victory, but Samson had to yield his, yield his heart to God. He had to let God have his way. And the things that he was doing took incredible strength, took incredible courage. Just the mere fact that he told that lady how to tie him up and everything, he knew it was a, a ruse because that's not, that's not it. That's not going to work. That took faith. The last thing I'm going to do is tell someone how to tie me up. I'm not going to do that because I'm, I'm done. You tie me up, I'm done. But he had faith. We also noticed that Samson never turned to idols. This is something that the people were doing. They went to idolatry. There's no indication here at all that Samson did that. He was still God's man. One of the neater things is when he killed those thousand men with that jawbone of a donkey, he piled them all up into a big pile, all the bodies. That's what that name is. He named it. Pile of bodies. Jawbone Hill. He piled all those men in a big pile. And he said to him, I have piled them in a heap. I have killed 1,000 men. I, I, I. But in private, when he was thirsty, he said, God, you're not going to let me get fall into the hands of those uncircumcised. Do you hear that? He had disdain and disrespect for the Philistines, those idolaters. Samson did not see himself as one of them. And he's in private said to God, you have accomplished this great victory through your servant. We see at the end of his life, his prayer, you know when you are chained to a, a grainstone and you're walking around in circles, blind. There's plenty of time to reflect in darkness, isn't there? A lot of time to think about what you've done. How foolish you've been. Some people are going to have those thoughts after they die. God's people have the opportunity to have them now. And this is what he said. He said, Lord God, please remember me. I know I've messed it up. Stricken me one more time. And then the final reason 
is the deal breaker. It's the ironclad reason. It's that Samson is included in Hebrews chapter 11. He's in the list. And that ends the debate. The text is silent about his relationship with God for the most part. But God is letting us know that it's there. A better question would be, knowing how sinful we are, how can God use any of us? Let's pray.